to the Vincennes First Church of God Sermon Podcast. My name is Will Huebner. I'm the lead pastor. And we're so thankful that you've decided to tune in and listen to us today. We hope that through this message and the Word of God, you will find not only that you are challenged, but that you are encouraged. Here at Vincennes First Church, we believe that it's our job to create kingdom culture. And we hope that you'll join us Sundays at 10 o'clock. We love you and enjoy. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope we are doing okay. I'm doing pretty good. I am Pastor Evan, the youth pastor here. Thank you. Um, I'm the youth pastor here, and I've, I've been here for about three months, and it has been such a pleasure. Uh, we've been doing this series. Uh, pastor Will has been doing uh, different parts on harmony, and we've been talking about two words that go together, that work really well together. We did uh, different ones. We did, I forget what they were, but we've done some and they were really cool. I'm so sorry, Will, but they are so good. Whenever I think, <laughs> um, I, I don't even remember. I'm not even going to go to that. But I, I think about some things that go together and there's, oh, dust and divinity. That's what it was. I remember thinking, Will, I'm so sorry. Oh, he's going to talk to me tomorrow. Okay. Um, <laughs> Things that go together, I think, and I wrote these down, but I didn't write, write those. I, I, I think of um, maybe biscuits and gravy, Tom and Jerry, things that work together that are better together than they are by themselves. And so my topic today, and you've probably already seen it on the screen, is humility and confidence. I was told about humility and confidence when um, I was in college, and I thought that was very interesting because I very much valued humility, but I didn't know what confidence had to play in that. When you're confident and you lack humility, it's pretty obvious to the people around you when, when you have this confidence in yourself, but you don't know that there's actually limitations to your life. But when you're humble, there's a certain part you can get, and when you lack confidence, you have untapped potential in your life. And so there's a balance that we need from humility and confidence. So like I said, I am Pastor Evan. I'm the youth pastor here. And so there's a world that I know about, probably I know about more than most people in the world, and it is the world of a teenage dude. I know it. Actually, um, I, I've, I might have told you last time, if you were here, I'm the youngest of five boys. And my oldest brother, he is 10 years older than me. So by the time I was three, he was 13. And so I remember in the house, there was always, every single year, there was always a teenager in the house. I talk with teenage dudes all the time, and it's a pretty simple life, but I, I, I've noticed, and sometimes it's crazy, but I've noticed that there's different phases that they go through. In fact, I myself have been a teenage dude before, and I remember the phases. The first phase I remember was in my middle school days, and I call it the humility phase. And so I actually want to show you a picture of me in the humility phase. That was when I was about, I wasn't a middle schooler yet, but that was when I was in fourth, fifth grade, and I was awful at basketball. Don't even try to get me to play basketball. I could not even get it. I got one, I, I don't even know the words, but yeah, that was, that was uh, an interesting time in my life. Here, go to the next one. This was my first Facebook profile picture. 
Um, I don't even know what I was doing with those glasses. It was rough. It was a rough, rough time. But this next one, this is, this is humbling for me as well. I don't know if you, you know. This is, this is a time. What is that haircut? What is going on? That's, that's my cousin Josh, way cooler, peace sign. I guess I love doing that. It was a humble time. And I know in that phase, there's, there's an interesting process because you're, you're, you're just going through so many crazy things. I, I, I'm getting more sweaty. I, I, my, my body is growing and, and, and all these things are happening and I'm so naive and, and don't even get me to talk to girls because it is the most stressful situation in the whole world. It was a humbling time. But then there's a phase that you get to in high school, and I call it the confidence phase. And so if you want to show a picture, this is me in the confidence phase. For, for youth group, what, I, what we had is, is, is costume contests, and I won a lot of them. And for some reason, <laughs> I just had this confidence about me, and I, I didn't know where does it come from? With a high school dude, where does the confidence come from? It's crazy. Go to the next one. Here's another piece of confidence I had. It was Hillbilly Day at youth, youth camp, and I won that competition too, yeah. Um, that's another confidence. And then if you want to go to the next one, I was wearing a red bow tie, and I thought I was the coolest, coolest guy on the block. And I, I think about when I was in high school, and it almost seemed like I just felt immortal, felt invincible, felt like I was on top of the world and, and there was nothing wrong, and I actually knew more than so many people. I was something special that God gave to the planet. And sometimes talking to high school dudes, it's like, you think you are the coolest guy. Some of them are, they're awesome. But there's phases that we go through in our life, and maybe some of you just felt like the whole time was a humility phase. Some of you maybe felt like it was a confidence phase, and, and we spend a lot of time trying to find the balance of those things. Getting into adulthood, you try to get that, but sometimes we, we lean more one way or the other, but we need humility and confidence. So the first um, part that I wanted to talk about is humility. Now, if, if you want to learn how to be humble, um, before we go into Scripture, I want to tell you, if you want to learn how to be humble, go play pickleball during the week. I will tell you, there's these ladies who are 30 to 40 years older than me, and they're probably five foot nothing, and they will serve on me and spike on me and just obliterate me and pickleball. And I'm like, how are you doing that? And I'm just like, okay, I still have a lot to learn. And what's even worse is I'm left-handed, so I'm awkward anyways. But it's a very humbling time. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, it gives a really cool topic about humility and how we should have humility with the people around us. And so I want to read it alongside you. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So basically, Paul is talking to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, if you have received love from God, 
I want you to share that love with the people around us. And, and before I get into more of that, I think how awesome would the church be if we experienced that and said, you know what, I know God has given me love, therefore I will go out of my way to love the people around me. And I, I love this because he says, be like-minded, be unified. How much could we do if our church and all the churches decided to seek unity as a body? Do you know what? I've received love from Christ, therefore I will seek unity in spirit with everyone around me. But it's hard. It's hard because people do things and people say things and, and, and we have hurt in our life and we do selfish things. He goes on and says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. I love that line. In humility, value others above yourself. In some translations, it says, actually think of others as better than yourself. I think that's such a hard command in my life because I could look around to people around me and I'm like, yeah, some of you, I'll, you're awesome, but this person right here, uh, hmm. But God says, think of every single person as better than yourself. What if there's something that we could learn by every person in our life? I, I think about kids ministry and when you're serving these kids, think there's something special about this kid that I know that they could teach me in my life. What if we looked around and saw the people around us and said, I think you are so valuable and you are more valuable than me, the perspective that we could have. Not looking to our own interests, but the interests of others. How do we do that? How do we have that humility? What is our example of that type of humility? Well, it goes on and it, and it just gives a clear picture. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now I think about this situation because, I mean, this is God sending his son into the world, God sending himself as a human, and, and you would think that he would deserve the biggest and greatest things, the biggest luxuries, and, and, and you even start off the scene, and, and, and this guy is born in a manger, in, in a trough, and he's in this barn, and there's animals around. This does not look like the ideal picture. This is the guy who's justified to, to take over the whole world and keep it to himself, but he says, you know what, I'm going to take the position of a servant. He spent his entire ministry exhausting himself, going after people, healing people, ministering to people that nobody would be around, and he humbled himself. And it says in the scripture that he humbled himself even to death on a cross. And I just think about the situation he was in, the most excruciating death you could picture at the time, and Jesus is hanging there. And he's like, I am the son of God, and he knows. But he wasn't focused on himself. He's focused on us. He said, I know if I could do this thing, then people will be blessed. And so he decided to do it. And so my first point for us today is humility comes from our focus on the people around us. We so think 
that humility might just be thinking less of ourselves. And, 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 and we might say, you know what, I am a humble person because I know that I am a messed up person. I am broken and I am not anything special. But that is not what humility is about. C.S. Lewis actually says a quote, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. When we're humble, we're thinking of the people around us, and we're not thinking so much about our own interests and our own wants, but we're thinking about what other people might need. I wrote this list in college, and I want to read it to you. This is the characteristics of someone who is prideful and the characteristics of someone who is humble. Pride is self-exalted, to be above others, to focus on self. Wise in your own eyes, full of yourself, stubborn, self-reliant, boasts and brags, puts others down, brings conflict and destroys, holds grudges, thinking we deserve, highly competitive, seeking our own honor, feels envious of others' blessing, concerned about recognition and concerned about what we want. And I, I look at that list and I think, okay, there's, there's a couple of those in there that I need to work on. But here's some characteristics of humility. Small opinion of yourself, bring low so that you can lift others up, focus on others. Salvation starts with humility. No no one can be saved. And, And the problem with the Pharisees is they thought they were something special and they didn't realize that they were so in need of a savior. So when you're saved, you realize I am in need of a God who can change my life. An empty vessel draws strength in God and dependent on him, seeks God's honor, lifts others up, lives at peace and go the extra mile, extends grace and forgiveness, disappearance of self and lays down our rights, does not compare to others, once more for its neighbor, praise God even when others are preferred and seeks God first. I think about the, the first sin. You know, I mean, Eve is, Eve is at the Garden of Eden. If you've, if you've not heard that before, it's such a cool story. Eve is at, at the Garden and the snake comes up and said, did God really say this? Did God really say that you will die? Or does he actually not know? Do you actually know more than God? Do you, do you think maybe if you did this, you, you actually might be okay? I think the first sin could be a product of the pride that we had in our life. And the product of pride is these, this life living selfishly, thinking that we know what's best for us when we actually don't. And we need humility to know we need God. And we need to use God's love to bless the people around us. And so where does confidence come in? Where, what, what position does confidence have to play in this? The second point, if you're writing in your notes, is confidence comes from God. Confidence comes from God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says it really well. He says, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What we can easily do in our lives is we can say, I have messed up too much, and I know that I am broken. I know that I am messed up, but I know that I'm a new creation in Jesus' name, and therefore my confidence is from God. Now, there's a a character that I love in Scripture. He's my favorite other than Jesus. He is such a, a, a cool character, and his name is John the Baptist. 
And we don't read too much about John the Baptist because there's a lot written about Jesus. But there's, there's this scene in Luke chapter 7 that, that I really just want to look at with you guys. And, and, and basically in this situation, John is, he's in prison. And he has disciples that have been there with him, but he's like, why am I here? He, he knows his position. And in fact, if, if you don't know, he's actually the man who had the spirit of Elijah. Elijah, the, the prophet in the Old Testament. He was this man who was, who was great, who was going to pave the way for the upcoming Messiah, who was going to save the Jews, and he's in prison. And so he's thinking, is this Jesus really the Messiah guy? And so he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he, he asks, and he asks Jesus through them, he says, are you really the Messiah, or should we wait for somebody else? And Jesus looks at John's disciples He says, well, the blind can see, the dead are raised, the, the, the lame can walk, miracles are happening, prophecies are being fulfilled, so we'll take with that what you will. But it seems likely. And so the disciples go and they turn around to go all the way back to John just to tell him this. And in Luke 7, 28, Jesus says something incredible. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, I think of that scripture, and it's just, this is the son of God. And he's saying, there is no one on earth who is greater than John. And so I'm thinking, I need to pay attention to this John guy because he's got something that I should probably take in. And he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, the one who is humblest, the one who is focused on the most people, the one who gives up their own things for the people around them. They are greater than he. And if I think about that, I'm like, Jesus, I want to be seen as great in your eyes. I want to seek your honor. So I need to have that. And so in John chapter 3, there's another story, and this is before John is even in prison, and this gives a fantastic perspective. So in John chapter 3, verse 25, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was at also baptizing at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Awesome. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other, is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. So they're getting frustrated because John has all these people that he is baptizing. I mean, his name is John the Baptist. This was his thing. This was his, his title. This was his, his go-to thing is he's the one who baptized people and he's at the river, but just down the river, Jesus is baptizing people. And so he sees that people are just leaving him and going to be baptized by Jesus and he's losing his entire ministry. He's losing everything. And if it was me, I would have been like, what is this guy doing? This is my thing. This is mine. But John responds differently. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. 
and is now complete. Basically what John is saying is he's saying the bride is, is here and it is meeting the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church, the people, they're receiving the Messiah. John knew his position and he was the one who was supposed to pave the way for Jesus to come, pave the way for Jesus to be known. And so often what we do is we pave the way and we get all the way to the very end and we say, yeah, I've made it. But Jesus wanted John to get out of the way so that he could be known. John goes on and says, he must become greater. I must become less. John says this, and the third point for us today is the focus should be more on God and less on me. Now, Will talked about this last week, and I, I think, I think he, he got it right because what we tend to do is we think it's less of me because everything that I am is messed up and broken and not good, but that's not what it is. The focus should be more on God and less on me. God redeems us and calls us a great creation, but we are not the focus. In fact, John knew this part of his story, and he knew that his life was an amazing story, but he realized that he was not the main character. He knew that his ministry and his whole life, and the reason we don't read much about, the, about John is because there's so much more written about Jesus. Because he knew his role was to pave the way so that people could know about this Jesus who came and healed people and did amazing things and died and rose again so that we all could know him. Why? Because Jesus was so much more important. And for me, in my story, in your story, in everybody's story, we're not the main characters, but God is. Because I'll tell you what, people could know so much about Evan Eichhoff and, and my story and my life, and maybe I've helped change someone's life, but if someone knows a God that can change their life, they are so much worth knowing. Humility is knowing we're nothing without God, but with God, he says, we are everything. It's not about being glad that, that God is being focused on because we're so pathetic, but being glad that the focus is on God because we know how amazing and life-changing he is. And I, I thought of this kind of illustration because it just helps me. Pride comes from here. Whenever the focus on my life is, or whenever I'm reacting, or when, I, when I'm, I'm concerned about me, that's when the pride is set in. But when I'm humble, I think about this. I think, what is the good for the people around me? What is, what is the, 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 the benefit of these people? How can I love these people? But my confidence comes from here. My confidence is Him and what he says about me and how he loves me. My confidence cannot come from here because I don't know about you, but over and over again, I've proved to myself that if I trust in me, I will fail. I will fall short and I try to prove myself, but I can't do enough and I know that my confidence should come from here. My humility comes from here. My confidence doesn't come from here and it sure enough does not come from the people around me because people will let us down but our confidence comes from here. I'm not directing people to me or you or anything on this planet. My job is just to be an arrow, pointing people towards him. Now, when I was 
hey, kid. I mean, I felt this call into ministry and worship team, if you guys want to come on back up. When I was a, a, a kid, I, I started to focus on ministry and fell in love with the thought because I thought I was gifted. I thought I was gifted as a preacher, and I wanted to preach so that people could be moved, but then I found something that I loved even more. See, I, I showed you this picture of me as a middle schooler and a high schooler, but I, what I did not tell you was the entire time when they saw this awkward kid with a terrible haircut, Somebody looked at me and said, I think there's a God who loves you, and you should focus on him too. There's a God who cares about you and wants more for your life, and I want you to see him too. It was a God who, who showed me that I was, I was more than the mistakes or, or more than the awkward time of my life, and he gave me purpose and being because someone pointed me to him. I remember when I was in high school, I thought I was this gifted person who, who, who just was immortal and awesome. And someone said, Evan, I need you to stop pointing here. I need you to point here. And so in my life, my goal is not to, to speak a great thing, but I want to find a little Evan Eikhoff. One who's awkward and doesn't know what to say or, or is too confident for anything and say, okay, I need you to look here. I need you to have confidence from here. Because he's so worth knowing. And in order for me to do that, I must decrease myself so that he can increase. And so in the next couple minutes, we're gonna go into this song and then I'm gonna pray. But I just want you to focus and I want me to focus on a God that says great things about me I was to think about going in our lives every day and pointing people here. Because he's so worth knowing. <laughs>